Wednesday, May 16, 2018. This is Born the Battle, brought to you by the Department of Veterans Affairs. I am your host, Marine Corps veteran Timothy Lawson. Before we get to this week's featured interview, I want to tell you about an event that's going on in a few days. May 21st, 7 p.m. Eastern Standard Time, Explore VA will be teaming up with the Disabled American Veterans, also known as DAV, to lead a Facebook Live virtual tour of a vet center and mobile vet center. The goal here is to share information on counseling, outreach, and referral services offered at these centers. After the tour, veterans can have questions answered or you can enter a zip code into the comment section to receive the phone number for their vet center. This is uh, very important. I think that vet centers, as often as I even mention them here on the show, is one of the more underrepresented services offered by VA, and I think it's one of the most important. These mobile vet centers deploy to disaster areas. They support events. They support their communities. They are an extension of VA's medical and health services. Uh, they provide counseling. It's amazing. Last Friday, I talked to a gentleman that uh, that runs uh, the Mobile Vet Center down in San Antonio. If you've not heard that episode, I recommend you listen to that to get a little bit more insight into how they run and how they um, how they serve their communities. But uh, also check out this Facebook Live event. It'll be on DAV's Facebook page. Okay, it'll be on Disabled American Veterans Facebook page, 7 p.m. Eastern Standard Time on May 21st. So be sure to check out that event. Uh, and while you're there, throw a co- throw a question in the comments section, and more importantly, throw your zip code into the comments section to get the phone number for your local vet center. Give them a call uh, and see if you can check out uh, check out them there in your community. So on that note of extending healthcare into the community, one way that VA has continued to evolve and advance is telehealth. Um, and the Office of Connected Care has been focusing on improving healthcare through technology by engaging veterans and care teams outside of traditional healthcare visits. That's to say, uh, you know, digital platforms to check your records and make appointments using video counseling or video conferencing with your physician. Uh, we have a mobile app called Annie that uh, that veterans can use. Um, to check in and to ask questions to this this mobile app that will respond to them, um, I use a version of um, of telehealth. I have a I have a mobile app that I use uh, to connect with my therapist, and the convenience really helps preserve valuable time not only for the patient but for for the the health uh, the health team that that is um, providing. Uh, providing care. And then, you know, there's a a level of comfort that allows patients to receive the care when they need it. And it doesn't really add more stress uh, on their daily lives. So um, I brought on Army veteran Dr. Jennifer McDonald, who is the Director of Clinical Innovations and Education for VHA's Connected Care Team. She's going to tell us a little bit about her service in the Army. She's, we're going to learn about uh, the process of her becoming a doctor, her coming to VA, and what she has seen here at VA in her short time in the advancements of telehealth and other uses of technology uh, to serve veterans and provide uh, excellent health care. Enjoy. We all come together 
and stand together to serve our veterans. We invest in the latest technology. We take the time to train the next generation of doctors and nurses. We work together to make sure we heal their bodies and their minds. This is our mission. More than 300,000 of us working as one, together with families and loved ones. No matter where they live in this country, we'll be there. We stand strong, united. Stand with us in caring for our veterans. Uh, Dr. Jennifer McDonald, and you, uh, how, how much of your life has been spent clarifying that it is M-A-C in the spelling of your last name? Oh, great question. A good amount of my life, in fact. Um, I do have to distinguish between the Mick and the Mac on a regular basis and from the food chain to personal life. Yeah. I don't mind too much anymore. Very well. Um, do you have, uh, do you or anybody in your family like have the... The Tarth or anything from Scotland that uh, that the name would be represented. Do you have any clan uh, memorabilia? So I cannot say that I do personally. I married into this name. Actually, okay. I was a I was a German cruise, and that was one German gentleman who married into a family of Innocentis and Rossinis. So I am actually Italian. <laughs> okay. Under a McDonald moniker. Very well. Okay. Uh, well. Uh, and I only ask that because I, I was in Scotland last year and was blown away by how many names actually like had uh, Scottish representation. Um, I mean, like the Max and all that sort of stuff makes sense. Then you get like into the the weeds of it and you're like, ah, that's that's a Scottish root. Um, so uh, we're going to start this interview where we start all of our interviews, and that is, why did you join the United States military? We all have done different things in the military. We all have different. Uh, you know, origin stuff, but we all started our, our military experience with one thing, and that's the aha moment of, I'm going to do that. Yes, exactly. And I should first say thank you to you for your service as well. I understand oh, you're a veteran you. as well. I am. Marine Corps and Army, we're partners yeah, over here. Yeah, that's right, yeah. Um, the, the aha moment for me came when I was a 17 year old. Um, I didn't have any family members in the military, but I had a strong desire to serve in a capacity that was beyond my local roots, volunteering at the Humane Society, the local women's shelter. I really had a desire to volunteer on a level that was a bit greater than what I had seen thus far. There also happened to be some flooding in northern Minnesota at that point, and I had seen as, you know, a young 17-year-old, um, the National Guard going and helping those folks and really being of service to their community and the broader state and nation, and was inspired by that. Um, in addition, had a desire to to make sure my family was taken care of, including some some strong responsibility for my younger sister and making sure we were financially sound and able to move forward. And had a desire to go to medical school and knew that that combination could all be fulfilled by pursuing the Army National Guard. And so was grateful to to find my way there. Did you did you deploy at all? What, what's what's the, the year range of this of the of your time in? Yes. Yeah, so my 18th birthday when I was allowed to enlist is actually August 27th of 2001, okay. right before September 11th. So yeah. the date I signed papers was actually just two weeks after September 11th, um, even more strongly motivated by that. And then- Were you? Yes. Not shaken at all? I can't say I wasn't shaken, okay. but more strongly motivated. Okay. Um, the sense of service that came after that and the need, I think, um, enhanced and, and elevated the motivation I already had. And I served through the end of 2012, 
with a deployment for most of 2009 to Iraq, to okay. southern, southern Iraq and Basra. I often, uh, and one, a question of my audience is, is uh, used to hearing me ask is, when people served during 9-11, I asked them about the contrast between September 10 and September 12, 2001. Um, I'm curious, as someone who wasn't in yet, but sort of mentally committed, um, you just mentioned there's a little stronger motivation, but what else can you, per, your personal contrast of sort of how you felt about joining the military between those two dates, between September 10 and September 12? I think what I remember from that time is a profound sense of responsibility. I was already doing this because I wanted to serve my community in a broader capacity, make sure my family was taken care of, and and pursue medicine. And I had this concept of medicine that, even though I knew it would be a lot of work, if I could just improve one life, it would all be worth it. And that's the sense of responsibility that I remember having standing in my senior homeroom, classroom, and seeing what was happening in New York that day. After those moments, it seemed that someone needed to take responsibility for what was going to come next and step up and stand alongside the people who were going to be in need. And I just felt extremely compelled to be part of that and to serve in the best capacity I could and be one of those people stepping forward. Yeah. Uh, tell me about a close friend or a great leader that you had while you were serving. You can choose either one of those, but tell me about that person. I'm grateful to say that I consider my my entire unit with, with whom I served for those 11 plus years family. We have an open door policy in a different, in a different sense than you'd find in government here. Um, open door as in um, we, have, we have friends who simply book a trip out to see us from Minnesota and come out here to D.C. with, with no notice and drop in and bring their laundry with them if they need to. Walk right in. Um, and I have a great number of good friends from that and who have had an incredible impression on me, who have taught me friendship, service, integrity, what it means to really lead. And the leader who comes to mind isn't someone who was in a command role, isn't someone who attained a high degree of rank, um, but is someone who was just a quiet leader the entire time I knew him. The the soldier I'm mentioning, um, whose name is Karsten Chikuri, um, I had the privilege of serving beside him for those 11 years, and we actually we actually lost him last year to suicide. Um, the entire time I knew him, he was kind and courteous, always going well out of his way to help the person next to him. Again, never self-promoting, never needing to have an authoritative leadership role in order to lead. He simply drove the culture of that place and set a tone for taking care of people by acting in that way every single day. Yeah. Um, what, so what prompted your transition out of the military? Actually coming home from deployment, when I found out about the deployment, it was actually right at the time that I could have commissioned from enlisted to officer um, and was considering that at the time. But again, my, my unit was family and it made complete sense to stay there. And it just didn't seem, seem plausible to, to leave my unit at the time when they are about to deploy. Came home and finished those last two years of medical school and didn't really see it possible to serve as well as I could 
to a new unit and complete residency at the same time. So residency is what prompted my transition out. I wanted to really focus on becoming the best clinician I could, especially after what I had seen overseas. Yeah. Um, so while you were in the Guard, before you deployed, you had finished your your degree, right? Am I, am I, am I following what that timeline would have looked like? Yes, yeah, so it yeah. was an, actually an interesting timeline. So I had finished college and completed the first two years of medical school. Okay. And then deployed for about a year, all of 2009, came home and then needed to finish the last two years of medical school and head into residency. Okay, so what did you, what did you get your degree at, your medical degree? University of Minnesota was okay. my medical degree. Okay, so you, oh, you, you, sorry, so you, that's right, you said you're up in, in Minnesota. Um, what is it, what's that mascot again? Oh, gophers. Gophers. I the Minnesota gophers. I almost said beaver, and I was like, that's not right. <laughs> <laughs> uh, very well. Did you did you stay up there in, in Minnesota for your residency, or did you... Yeah, tell us about that, your, the, your, uh, the final evolutions of your... Of your of, um, I don't know, I'm always confused. There's always so many different, like, oh, I'm doing this now, and then I'm doing my residency, and now I'm doing this. Like, I feel like there's so many different stages to finally be called doctor. Uh, whatever. So, so residency, uh, where'd you do that? And then what, what's the next evolution past that? True story. There are a great many stages. Yeah. So I transitioned from the University of Minnesota for my medical degree to residency at UCLA and wanted to really pursue um, full spectrum family medicine. So in other words, wanted to do deliveries of newborns, wanted to do some surgery, wanted to see a full range of patients and do that in an urban setting where that was possible to see a patient, a patient population that was high need and also high volume. And so had a tremendous experience at UCLA. How difficult is it really to deliver a baby? Like we see in movies like these moments where like oh, there's someone, a woman goes into labor and and one or two people quickly like makeshift a, a little space and then it happens and like if, if, if it's really happening like on the metro car am I like if I call 911 can someone really like walk me through delivering a baby I believe they could but I will say it's not nearly as different for the person delivering as for the mother <laughs> <laughs> yeah. never as diff- difficult for that person but it is the best thing on the planet yeah it is truly an absolute joy um, I'd say the most difficult part is just the the steadiness and managing what's in the room you might have a partner for that person who's getting a little woozy yeah. that you need to manage at the same time as that baby is arriving yeah um, but it's it's joyful and it's wonderful very cool. Um, so between that and getting to VA, fill that gap for us. So I had actually planned to stay at UCLA, was very fortunate to have colleagues who were brilliant with high integrity out to change the world, found myself involved in essentially every quality improvement and hospital committee at UCLA during residency and also involved in the California Academy of Family Physicians, an advocacy group promoting family medicine and patient care, um, and realized that I've had a real interest in system design and system transformation and policy and learned through through a mentor of mine about something called the White House Fellowship out here in DC and on a, on a shoot the moon prospect, applied for that. Um, That, I'm grateful to say, came through and I had the opportunity to spend a year here in D.C. as part of that fellowship working at the Department of Homeland Security on health security and other policy issues. And then said, 
where can I work that will have the greatest impact I can think of that will bring together service and medicine and what I've learned from the Department of Homeland Security into one space, and that's VA. When VA leads, the the country leads, and the country gets better for it. Yeah, absolutely. Um, it's funny you call the, the fellow, obviously the White House fellowship, is, is anything out of the White House is, is a competitive uh, thing, but the one thing I've learned in life is so many people will already disqualify themselves before they even apply. So by you taking the opportunity to apply, you're already like ahead of half your competition because you bother to, 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 to try instead of uh, deciding that, you know, oh, it's too difficult. I'll never get selected for that. So, uh, but it's very good. Do you, do you have any idea what that pool size was uh, in applicants? That actually is not published. I can only guess, but um, to your point, I had an excellent mentor at UCLA. Um, she was one of those people who just always led with integrity, always cared about her patients, founded a clinic um, in one of the poorest, most challenged parts of LA and really built it from the ground up. Um, and was one of those physicians who you walked in the room to present a case to her and you just stood up a little bit straighter, yeah. made sure your white coat was buttoned appropriately. You just really wanted her to respect you, not because she was intimidating, but because she led so well and because she cared so much. Um, and she, she very sadly passed due to colon cancer at a very young age, just as I was finishing residency. And I had the, the great honor of being able to deliver remarks at her ceremony at UCLA. Um, and her brother, who had been a White House fellow, said to me, you know, I think my sister should have done this program. I think she, she would have had incredible impact through this program. It seems you might have the same ideals she did. Let me help mentor you through. And so it was really by the grace of, of someone else and the kindness that was shown to me that I found myself there. Yeah, very cool. And I, I'm not trying to, I wasn't trying to talk down your, the accomplishment of getting the oh. fellow. No, um, no I, not at all. You call it a shoot, shoot, shoot the moon chance. And I think that yes. a, a lot of people uh, often feel there's, People feel like there's more distance between them and an accomplishment than probably there really is, especially when there's other, other com possible competitors involved. Um, so you're you're here at VA. Um, so what exactly do you do here at VA? Well, thank you for that question. Yes. Do you have another four hours? <laughs> <laughs> well, we'll start with do, do, what's what is your title? Sometimes at uh, you know DC is a very title title. Town, right? So, what's uh, what is your title here at VA? Certainly, I'm the clinical lead in the office of Connected Care, and Connected Care comprises our My Healthy Vet portfolio, our online web health portal, our mobile application portfolio, telehealth, and VHA innovation, and increasingly clinical contact centers as well. And I'm very glad to serve in a strategy and integrating role there, helping us ensure that in each of those spaces, the value we're delivering integrates health information technology into the daily lives of veterans and employees in a way that makes their lives easier and better. Interesting. Um, probably not a question expected to get, how do you how do you actually contribute to all of those things? And the reason why, and, and, and not you personally, but you just you as a person that has a lot of areas to to contribute to. I I can name like three things that I do well on a weekly basis, and it sounds like you're contributing to a lot of parts of VA. How do you manage all that? 
Well, I, I will first say that this is an incredibly strong team. Um, we have a fantastic leader in Dr. Neil Evans, and this this team really is leading the way. Um, and I'm grateful to be a part of it and to serve in that integrating role. I think the, the ways in which I deliver value are by bringing together coalitions around tough problems. I really enjoy connecting with people, bridging gaps, breaking down silos, and bringing the right people to the table to solve tough problems. Um, you mentioned button your white coat. Uh, can you, someone told me that, that you can tell, uh, like there's a difference in coat lengths depending on what stage you are in your, is that true? That is indeed true. Yes. Medical students have a shorter coat. And if you see someone in a longer coat, that is either a fellow or a full attending physician. That blew my mind when I first heard that. And then I thought, I was like, oh my goodness, mostly short coat people who saw me. Um, <laughs> I, have been, I have been with the students more so than the, uh, than the, the, the doctors or, you know, whatever. Yeah. But uh, uh, I suppose at that point, uh, you know as much as you really need to know. It's just a matter of uh, the practice, right? Brilliant individuals, just less experienced. Right. And they're supervised, so don't worry too sure. much. <laughs> Good. Um, let's talk about telehealth. Um, and, and any version of it, any anything where VA is offering um, at a distance um, uh, care uh, to veterans, because I think since I've been on board and it's only two years, um, I feel like it has been a hot topic that both has made good strides, but still has isn't as uh, as easily offered as we'd like it to be. And the time that you've been here. Um, maybe maybe share one big one big step we've taken in the right direction, and then another big challenge that's kind of holding us back. Absolutely. In just the 18 months I've been there, um, and in just the 18 months I've been here, and in the just under a year I've had the privilege to be part of this office, I've seen telehealth make incredible strides and start to integrate with other spaces like the mobile app portfolio and the My Healthy Vet portfolio, surfacing that ability in different spaces where veterans already have access. My Healthy Vet has more than 4 million users, putting our, for instance, VA Video Connect ad hoc ability to connect a veteran to their VA provider or provider team to that veteran and VA caregiver, surfacing those types of mobile applications that promote telehealth in those spaces where people already have access means that these tools get to a much broader number of people. I'd say an incredible success is what is what is about to come along, and that is the prospect of VA anywhere to anywhere. So for a VA clinician to deliver care from anywhere, not just on federal property, but truly from anywhere via a mobile device, to a veteran who is not only in a facility, but may be at home. So anywhere on the provider side to anywhere on the veteran side, this has the ability to absolutely expand access and capacity and bring care to veterans where they are instead of veterans to care. The one challenge we have is still some of the broadband and connectedness issues in our more rural communities, but even that is starting to change as we move beyond our traditional sites of care. Yeah. And like what are what are some typical types of care we're talking about that that lend themselves to be able to be used by the, in this way? So there are a range of possibilities across this portfolio. There is VA Video Connect, which can bring a provider team to that veteran where that veteran is, again, and to that veteran's caregiver or family member that they want to be involved. There are also a range of other technologies. For instance, in our app portfolio, 
Let me back up for a moment and just describe the range of telehealth options that exist. Telehealth doesn't just need to be video, as in one provider to one person or even a group of providers to that person, but can also be described as telephone care, as web chat, as the range of our mobile applications that really support telecommunication between patient and provider, including secure messaging. So there's a range of options. For instance, care can be delivered via via telehealth in a video format, which is provider to patient. It can also be delivered in applications, for instance, like our secure messaging or in Annie, which is an automated telehealth platform, automated text messaging platform, where a veteran can communicate with, you might think of this analogous to Siri or Alexa, can send in their blood pressure or their blood glucose on a protocol that's been prescribed by their, their clinician and get a response back from that automated system. So we are moving from video telehealth to secure messaging to even automated text messaging and spanning that whole portfolio of telehealth applications. Yeah. I, and I, I think that, um, you know, distance care um, right, or tele, telecare, however you want to uh, uh, whatever coined phrase we want to use, uh, is extremely valuable. I use, um, I use an app for like me and my therapist use an app, you know? And so I've never once sat in a room with my therapist yet. Uh, she knows more about me than, you know, half my friends do. And it's, and what's nice about it is, uh, sort of in the same way, like I have, you know, like I, uh, I have an elbow or a forearm injury that I'm dealing with right now, and I still have not gotten into because uh, I'm stubborn and I'm lazy, and I still have not gotten <laughs> into the doctor to talk about it. But I wish there was a way for me to like hop on a video real quick, show the range of motion of like, in the video, like I feel pain here and here, and this is it, and like load that video to like, and, and then let someone on the other side just watch it and be like, okay, yeah, that, you should come in for that, or no, maybe just try this. And because time is so valuable, right? Like, like, and I think, yes. and I know veterans, especially, especially ones that have been burned by the VA before, are so hesitant to want to go into a VA facility and maybe spend half a day to a full day addressing something and maybe not even come out with a, with a solution on either side. And so I think offering this to them where it saves them time, saves, saves them a lot of energy of having to go. I think it's brilliant. And I know that I'm not, I'm not sure if I'm really going into a question with this, but rather backing up um, the the value of this and, and how important it is if VA does this right. Um, you, you go ahead. Absolutely. And I will say that in, in VA, that opportunity exists to show that range of motion and yeah. be able to be diagnosed via video or even increasingly over the phone. We're also moving toward an initiative to transform our contact centers here and really surface the same content on our online health portal as would be provided via our contact centers. So moving toward a call, text, chat type of platform in our contact centers that would include the ability to do ad hoc video. We actually have regions in VA starting to do that now. So if you had that type of urgent need, you could actually call certain VA centers already today 
and have them spin up a video just by sending you a simple link, one click, and you're in a video with that provider, having that condition evaluated over the phone and never needing to move from where you are. It's quite incredible technology, and we're already moving in that direction, and increasingly so. Uh, The future's now. Yes. Um, You, a, a few times, you've mentioned connected care. Uh, tell us about that. Yes, so connected care is that idea of bringing access and improving the veteran and employee experience by integrating health information technology into their daily lives. Okay. That's the concept of this office and the direction we're driving across telehealth, mobile apps, and that entire portfolio. So what what part of that that we haven't already discussed does that include? Say or does that one it? more time. So, like we've talked about the video and some like uh, you've, um, I guess, expand on the parts that are included in that that we haven't already gone into extensively. Sure. Um, so, I would offer that a few of one of the incredible things Connected Care is doing is thinking about mobile applications in a different way than really has been seen in healthcare prior. Thinking about patients' ability to be empowered with their own data and their own information. Already on my Healthy Vet, we have things like blue button technology where patients are able to download their entire health record and keep that with them, that they have that information and are able to be mobile across other systems in a way that is unique to VA. That you that recently has been upgraded to include health images and reports as well. And in the mobile application space, we are also empowering patients with their own what we call patient-generated data. So they are giving us their blood pressure from home or their blood glucose readings from home. In the past, that might have been recorded on a piece of paper on the kitchen table or posted on the fridge. Now this is being recorded in app form, secure, encrypted, in app form in a way that empowers patients to have a chart or a graph of what their health has been like and walk into that next visit with their provider having that information in their hand and in their provider's hand and being able to make decisions together in true partnership. So moving away from the provider-empowered relationship where the patient didn't necessarily have all of that decision-making information to a true partnership where patients are self-empowered and engaged in their own care. Yeah, and you've you've mentioned it a little bit, but uh, you know, We've talked a lot about how this is valuable to the veteran, but how is this valuable to VA? How is this making VA and the doctors that are involved in this better at doing their job and being more efficient in using time and resources? Very simply, this is putting VA at the leading edge of healthcare evolution and making this an incredibly attractive place to work. I think this will have enormous impact on recruitment and retention in the future. I can't imagine a young clinician coming out of medical school shying away from the idea of being able to be trained in telehealth, being able to use mobile applications in their daily practice for the benefit of their patients, being able to make clinical decisions with that patient in partnership and with that patient's information that they've collected at home there as part of your decision-making process. It truly is promising and it's, it's transformative to the way we've delivered medicine in the past. And again, this is putting VA at the leading edge of that. This is an exciting place to be. And, and as this office continues to lead and, and partner with other offices here, I think it will be increasingly, increasingly so. 
when, when you were in medical school and even your residency, how often was VA brought up as a potential employer, potential career path? So VA actually trains, the last number I knew is about 70% of the nation's health healthcare workforce that's, that's at some amazing. point in their training. I certainly spent, um, I would say, close to half of my training in, in a VA. That's amazing. Either in the Minnesota VA and, and that system, or the Greater Los Angeles VA and that healthcare system, um, I received excellent training there, and it always, to me, seemed um, an attractive and and very viable option. The range of opportunities in that training and the range of opportunities I've had within the VA healthcare system have just been tremendous, more than anywhere else I can speak of. Yeah, do you have a do you have a um, uh, do you have a st- like a story or an example of of these advances in telehealth um, in in it, it affecting a, a veteran. Do we do we do you have an example that you can provide? I do. Yes, there um, there are a wonderful set of examples that we could also provide. But the one I will the one I will lean toward is I had the ability to speak with a veteran who was testing out one of those new applications I mentioned, Annie, which is that automated platform. I had the opportunity to speak with a clinician who happened to be working out of St. Cloud, Minnesota, who had used her protocols to check in on her patients with significant depression, one of whom was not at that point able to leave his home because of his symptoms, felt confined to his home. It was difficult for him to even come in for his visits with that provider. His provider was able able to use video telehealth, telemental health to reach him at home and continue that relationship and make that easier, and then complemented that with Annie. And this veteran would receive a text message from that automated platform, fully realizing that is automated. Um, Annie, by the way, is the first female recipient of the Purple Heart for her service during the Pearl Harbor attack. Okay. That veteran engaged in Annie and would receive motivational text messages. For instance, how's your mood today? Can you tell me from one to ten? Thanks, Annie. That veteran would send back, my mood's a three. And Annie would say, can you think of three things you're grateful for? Or maybe the next day, can you step outside and get a little bit of sunshine? The next day, can you call someone who's important to you in your life? Can you pay someone a compliment? And Annie's doing this automated the whole time. Yes. Is there is it recording his responses for the physician's um, ob- observation? It is, okay. yes, for that veteran and for his physician. Okay, so, so he physician, can recall to his answers as well. Yes. Okay. It is geared toward that veteran for his own empowerment, but his physician, if he chooses, is able to see that as well. And when I spoke with this veteran after about a month and a half of engaging with Annie and after those telemental health video visits, he said that this had been life-changing for him. I won't forget that conversation as, as long as I'm here, probably as long as I live. He said that this has been absolutely transformative, that he is engaged in his healthcare and empowered in a way that he never thought possible, that he feels VA is there for him when he most needs VA, even if that is 10 p.m. at night, even if that's 1 a.m. on a weekend. Um, VA is there for him, and although he knows this is an automated system, he still sees it as an extension of his care team, that that care is being brought to him rather than him having to seek out that care. Last month, he purchased his first home. Nice. 
And we've seen incredible success stories like that from these modalities, and especially when they are integrated and, and combined. Yeah, well, hopefully he used a VA back to home loan when he did that. I hope so, too. I hope so. Um, something I, I heard, I don't know if you know this to be true with when VA developed Annie, but I heard that, that, that automated voices like that Siri, Alexa, that they're, they're female voices because people perceive male voices to be authoritative and aggressive and that people are more welcoming to the female voice. Do you know if that was considered in the development of Annie? And so Annie is actually text message based. So oh, Annie, no Annie does not have a specific voice. Gotcha. But okay. um, I was actually wondering about this question the other day. Yeah. Off, off track. But I was wondering about this question the other day. So it's, yeah. it's interesting to hear that. When I had the opportunity to come into this office and first saw Annie, I was very heartened to see that she represented a woman veteran um, and that first first woman to receive the Purple Heart from Pearl Harbor. She was the chief nurse at Pearl Harbor. And I think that says a lot about VA's direction and the thought about the comprehensive population of veterans that we have, including women veterans. This technology to your point earlier about the ability of telehealth to reach into rural spaces to reach veterans where they are, this technology, I think, and the way it's integrated has the ability to ameliorate a lot of the barriers that we have previously seen to accessing healthcare, even some of the cultural barriers that we have seen. We have a population in VA that soon will be 65% over the age of 65. We have a veteran population that faces significant chronic illness and comorbidities and who live rurally and represent the vast array of of personhood and background and ethnicity that makes up this country. Our country serves and therefore our country comes to VA. And what this technology has the ability to do is meet those people where they are rather than forcing them to overcome those barriers to come to us. If people are are interested in learning more about this, they uh, maybe they're halfway into getting their care at VA, they're in it, and they're not familiar with the, their physician or their primary care physician hasn't brought up telehealth opportunities, whatever. How can they learn more about it and then approach their care team about how to, how to use that opportunity? That's a great question. So a great way to learn more about these technologies and these opportunities is connectedcare.va.gov. I'd say it's also important for veterans to consult with their care team about which of these technologies are the right choice for them or which suite of technologies. Um, And we always encourage folks to sign up for My Healthy Vet as well, as a lot of these technology opportunities will be surfaced there in one place where it's accessible. Yeah, very cool. Uh, Two questions I always use to wrap up. I want to make sure I get these in here. Tell me about a skill set that you learned in the military that's contributing to your success today. Number one skill is steadiness. This is a time of change in VA and a time of incredible prospects for, again, VA to cement its place at that leading edge of healthcare evolution. That said, Any big change takes coalition building and steadiness, and those two skills are absolutely what I learned from the military. I'm I'm grateful to my colleagues for have showing, for having shown me the way as a as a young 17 year old on that front. And last, tell me about a veteran or a veteran organization that you're familiar with that has you excited about what they're doing right now. 
I think we have an incredible team of veterans here within VA who extend their mission from their prior service to their service here in VA and go out of their way. I see this every time I'm, I'm here in central office. I see this every time I have the opportunity to work clinically in the DC VA. Clinicians who are veterans themselves going well out of their way to take care of their, their battle buddies. Wonderful. Dr. Jennifer McDonald, thank you so much for joining me. It's been a pleasure talking to you. Thank you. Thank you for the opportunity. VA's round-the-clock hotline can put veterans who are homeless in touch with the resources and support they earned through their military service. Call 877-424-3838. Again, if you want to learn about Connected Care and how VA is using digital technology uh, to engage with veterans and healthcare professionals, check out connectedcare.va.gov. This week's Medal of Honor citation reading is for Don Porter. He was in the United States Army, rank of Sergeant, Division, Company G, 14th Infantry Regiment, 25th Infantry Division. Year of Honor is 1952, Conflict, Korean War. Citation reads, Sergeant Porter A member of Company G, distinguished himself by conspicuous gallantry and outstanding courage above and beyond the call of duty and action against the enemy. Advancing under cover of intense mortar and artillery fire, two hostile platoons attacked a combat outpost commanded by Sergeant Porter, destroyed communications, and killed two of his three-man crew. Gallantly maintaining his position, he poured deadly, accurate fire into the ranks of the enemy, killing 15 and dispersing the remainder. After falling back under a hail of fire, the determined foe reorganized and stormed forward in an attempt to overrun the outpost. Without hesitation, Sergeant Porter jumped from his position with bayonet fixed and meeting the onslaught in close combat, killed six hostile soldiers and routed the attack. While returning to the outpost, he was killed by an artillery burst, but his courageous actions forced the enemy to break off the engagement and thwarted a surprise attack on the main line of resistance. Sergeant Porter's incredible display of valor, gallant self-sacrifice, and consummate devotion to duty reflected the highest credit upon himself and uphold the noble traditions of the military service. We honor his service. That wraps up episode 102. Man, these uh, episodes are becoming a little bit more of a mouthful now we've crossed the, the, the 100 mark. Episode 102 in the bag. Thank you so much for listening. Again, connectedcare.va.gov to learn more about what we discussed in the featured interview. Thank you to Do- Dr. Jennifer McDonald for joining me and uh, discussing telehealth here at VA. At DEPT Vet Affairs is where you can find us on both Instagram and Twitter for more stories and images from our community. We'll be back next week with more. I'm Timothy Lawson, signing off. <laughs> <laughs>